Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Bookshop Podcast, where I interview booksellers and independent bookshop owners from around the world. To help the show reach more people, please share with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. You're listening to episode number 98. This is our first episode of 2022, and it's odd to think we're heading into the third year of a pandemic. I'm guessing there are listeners like myself who've been unable to travel long distances overseas to see family and friends. Hopefully that'll change for us in the near future. Not being able to travel has made me even more aware of my love of reading and books. And of course, for booksellers and our little indie bookshops all over the world. I wish everyone love, health and happiness in the new year. And without further ado, let's get on with this week's episode. Gibson's Bookstore was founded in 1898 and is the oldest continuously operating retailer in the Concord, New Hampshire area. Current owner Michael Herman bought the bookstore in 1994 and in 2013 moved it to its current location on South Main Street. In 2014, Gibson's was awarded the coveted Independent Spirit Award. This award is given each year by the book publishers Reps of New England to a bookstore that best exemplifies the spirit of the independent bookstore. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Now, Gibson's Bookstore is one of the oldest continuously running bookstores I've had on the show. So I'd love to learn about the long history of the bookstore. Sure. Well, it was started in 1898 by Walter Gibson. And actually, his granddaughter is is still alive, living in California. And every once in a while, she makes a pilgrimage back east to, to see if we're still running. <laughs> and um, it's always nice to see her. But uh, yeah, since 1898, uh, started on North Main Street in Concord, New Hampshire, and it's moved around a bunch of times, uh, a couple of times by me, and uh, I'm the I'm only the fifth owner in 120, 123 years. I've had the store since 1994. There's something nostalgic about a business, especially an independent bookshop, being ongoing for so many years. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's gone through some changes. I mean, when we when we first opened in 1898, I wasn't there. <laughs> but I've heard um, that uh, that the store sold glue and uh, paper goods and uh, pencils and uh, just all kinds of um, stationary supplies. And uh, the books were kind of a little bit of a sideline when they first opened. And um, then over over the years, it became more and more of a, of a traditional bookstore. So it's uh, it's a wonderful history. Yes, it is. Now, I noticed that you also sell toys and you operate a cafe in the bookshop, which looks beautiful, by the way. What prompted you to move into these two areas? Um, well, you know, to um, some, sometimes I think that to the personality required to own a bookstore, uh, first of all, you have to be willing to, to face certain odds that are operating against you. <laughs> And you have to be willing to take risks because it's it's truly, um, you know, it's uh, it's famously a, a business that's uh, for for people that like to sit around and read books all day. But we don't get to do that. We actually have to 
uh, be active and energetic and nimble and respond to um, to changes in the landscape. When we expanded our store in 2013, we, we went from 4,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet. And it was a big, it was a big leap for a town the size of Concord, New Hampshire. And to make sure, well, to give us better chances of success, I knew that we had to drive more traffic to the bookstore. So we needed more reasons for people to come to us. And um, one thing that, uh, that a lot of um, you know, really smart people in the business, like uh, Steve Burke, who down at uh, Book People in Austin, people like that were saying, you know, we can't just sell books anymore. We have to have higher margin items that drive traffic and uh, move more money to the bottom line. And, um, and so I took that to heart. And there was a great toy store right here in Concord, uh, whose owner was thinking about moving on in her life. And uh, so we bought the toy store um, when we were right before we moved and integrated it into the new bookstore, the larger bookstore. And it was, it was a great choice. Um, it's really given uh, people, you know, families, more reasons to come and um, shop both the toys and the books. It's fully integrated into our children's section. And um, we think it's a great combination. Uh, as far as the cafe goes, um, you know, book lovers are also generally coffee lovers and raw pastry lovers, you know. <laughs> yes, and writers love their tea and coffee too. Writers love their tea and coffee and uh, other things that they may imbibe later at night that we don't have any part of. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, when we first moved over here, we partnered with uh, with a wonderful um, local uh, barista called True Brew, and we leased our cafe space to them, fitted up for them, and they ran it. And uh, then uh, during COVID, they closed up and didn't renew their lease. So uh, we were without a cafe for about a year and a half. But uh, the good news is we just reopened our cafe under our own ownership um, in October. And, um, you know, it's still growing. People are still just realizing that it's reopened and it has a broader menu now. Um, So, yeah, that's another new business that, um, you know, at the age of 64, I've just gotten into. my sanity has been questioned. I'll put it that way. Oh, Michael, I think that in our 60s, we're on fire. Our creativity launches, we see things in a different way. And I think perhaps for many of us, it's a time where we're okay taking risks. And let's face it, the only way to keep young is to keep learning and expressing ourselves and finding new ways to express ourselves. So kudos to you for trying all these new ways of expanding the business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we I've had fun. Actually, the one good thing about the pandemic, there's a lot of bad things about it, but one good thing about it is that it's it's sharpened us with new challenges and you always have to be thinking about your business. And as you know, to, to use an overused word, you have to be you have to be a bit what ready to pivot. Uh you have to um you know, you really have to be thinking about it all the time and, and executing and making changes. And um, it has sharpened us. I think I'm certainly better at this than I was two years ago. Um, and I hope to continue to grow. But I, you know, I wish it wasn't for the reason that there was a deadly virus, you know, going around the globe. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about pivoting, because that's something customers have had to do too. They've discovered it's just as easy to tap on the order book button to an indie bookshop as it is to tap on that uh, one on Amazon. People have realized that if they want their independent businesses to survive through this pandemic, they need to support them. 
and every bookshop owner I've spoken with over the past 22 months, whatever it's been now, have all said they've been delighted with the way the community has supported them. And likewise, booksellers have done what it takes to get books to customers, from hand-selling on bicycles to using long-handled pizza peels to hand books safely to customers from windows, whatever it takes. Yeah, we've, well, we've been saying for many years that, uh, you know, you vote with your dollars for the kind of community you want to have, you know, independent stores to exist. Concord has a robust Main Street full of independent stores. Um, you know, you vote with your dollars for the kind of community you want to have. And if you want to have a community that's got a, uh, an empty Main Street, shop at Amazon, go right ahead, um, you know, and see what happens, because that's, that's how these things happen. And uh, that's a funny story about the bicycle. I mean, they say meet your customers where they are. And sometimes, you know, they're housebound because of a pandemic. So you meet them on a bicycle going to their house. We did some deliveries, but we mostly did curbside and shipping. Now, it was interesting because while I was researching Concord, New Hampshire, I discovered the city was well known for carriage making in the 19th century. Very well. In- internationally, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. So what other historical elements make the city of Concord unique? It's a capital city. Um, so the, the, um, at least in recent decades, the, uh, the town industry is uh, government. And um, that's not the most exciting uh, way for a town to be known. You know, if you, go, if you go to state capitals around the country, it's not the most interesting city in the state. Um, but I'll tell you, that, that Concord coach history is kind of amazing. Um, and it's still a symbol for a lot of things that, that happened here. People will put a coach on, you know, in their branding and everything because we really were internationally known. And uh, the innovation then was that, you know, there was the westward expansion and people were getting around on coaches. And uh, when the, as they went out west, um, they found that iron or steel springs deteriorated very quickly and sort of left passengers literally in a rut in the mud or stranded somewhere. So the innovation that the folks here used was they used leather straps instead of the springs. And so the coach would just kind of swing. So, you know, that was that innovation uh, made them world leaders in coach making. And it's still it's still very, very highly thought of today. And there are some some Concord coaches that have been preserved. And uh, actually, my own landlord um, has one of them. And uh, he's been talking about putting it in a uh, display case out on Main Street in front of our shop because he owns the two buildings right here. So we'll see. And the one thing about it is it's not exactly a forward-looking symbol. uh, But on the other hand, it's important to preserve and honor the past. That's how I think about literature, too. We preserve the past and read the future. Definitely. Now, I would love to hear about your booksellers, the genres they enjoy reading, and how long they've been working at the store. And I know you have a lot of booksellers. We, we, have, we have a lot of people here. We have, um, let's see, uh, John has been with us the longest, other than me. And, um, and he's, uh, he's mostly a history buff, and um, he's actually um, a five-time Jeopardy champion uh, back from back in the day. So he's, he's well-versed in um, nonfiction and facts of all kinds. And he loves he loves to read uh, history and current events. And uh, another fellow here named Paul is uh, very into poetry that none of the rest of us have heard of. He's very into speaking of going down rabbit holes. Uh, you know, it's uh, the world of poetry is full of intense poetry lovers who 
and uh, it's a it's an astonishing community, really. And uh, then we have um, Heather, who's our children's expert, so she's always reading children's books. And uh, we have a lot of newer, younger booksellers who are so into fantasy and um, and real and really, and they're into young adult. Uh, the um, the distinction between young adult and adult reading is so blurred now. Um, you know, young adult books, they can be really great literature, um, you know, just geared for younger readers. Um, so it's, it's uh, and a lot of them are into that. And while we're on the subject of booksellers, for anyone considering a job as a bookseller, what can they expect? Because I have a friend who's a writer and also works at a bookstore. And she says she can barely walk when she gets home because she's been lifting heavy boxes all day. They don't warn you about all the cardboard. (laughs) 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 They don't, you know, I mean, sure, you can touch books all day, but that's while you're shelving and dusting. (laughs) So uh, actually one time when I was, when I had first bought the bookstore, uh, a fella came in and looked at me and said, boy, you have the ideal job. You just get to sit around and read all day. And I had just finished you know, a 12 hour day reviewing paper catalogs back in the day, there was no such thing as Edelweiss or any of the computer assisted ways of buying books. And I was exhausted. And, you know, of course you think later about what you should have said back. You never, you never think of it in the moment, but uh, later on, I thought to myself, yeah, and a farmer gets to sit around and eat all day. (laughs) Only wish I could have said it in real time. (laughs) I'm still thinking about that guy 22 years later. (laughs) That's funny. Let's talk about the Lay Down podcast led by booksellers Ryan and Hillary. How long has the podcast been running? They started that, I believe it was two and a half years ago, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, Ryan um, is involved with it all the time. And Hillary, you know, adds her voice and other booksellers like Joe Swenson, who works here, have been on. And um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. We just, like I said earlier, you meet the readers where they are, and a lot of them are listening to podcasts. You know, you find them on the web, um, you know, and they're, you know, streaming these these um, radio, you know, interviews, uh, you know, when they can have time to listen to them. So I think it's a marvelous uh, innovation, and I'm so glad that they've taken that, because I, I had no idea how to do it. I just said, you know, do we need to subscribe to something? They said, yeah, audio boom. I said, okay, how much is it? And, you know, so that's the extent of my involvement, really. I really like what you said about meeting the readers where they are. It's so true. Now, I'm interested, did you always imagine owning a bookshop or is there another venture you'd like to experience? Well, I didn't always imagine myself doing that. But but when I started it, I realized that it was... uh, it was the career for me, and I really felt very strongly about it. You know, so I first got into it in 1980, right out of college. Um, I worked in a small bookstore in Richmond, Virginia, and I still remember when I was when I was hired. Um, you know, the owner was just getting the bookshop off the off the ground, and she said, "Can you give me a list of books that we should uh, be stocking?" And I was just out of college, and so I just wrote down like two pages, uh, very tiny writing, of just all the cl- all the classics and great books I could remember. Yeah, we should have all of these. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh yeah, but then oh, you know, and it took it took me some time because coming out of uh, you know just a liberal arts education, uh, I was mostly thinking about books that had been written some time before. I wasn't thinking about literature as a living, breathing thing that's happening, you know, while we're living through it. Um, you know, it's happening right now. It's happening tomorrow. You know, that's that's the 
the the great benefit of being a bookseller is not to be stuck in like a list of great books from the past. I mean, it's always being created, the list of great books. Yes. And I love what you said about literature being a living, breathing entity. I love that. Now, I'd like to hear about local authors in and around Concord. And do you have signed copies available for customers at the bookshop? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And some of them um, actually are probably writing their next books in our cafe right now. When we reopened the cafe, we built a breakfast bar by the window um, with, um, you know, outlets for them to plug in their laptops and uh, nice comfy chairs. And I was thinking to myself, boy, I hope our local authors come back and, and write right, at, right in the window right there. And they have. There's three of them that are in there all the time. There's Virginia McGregor, who uh, writes books for young adults and for adults fiction. And uh, Aaron Bowman, who writes uh, YA uh, fantasy and dystopian literature. And um, uh, let's see, Marjorie Burke, who's written uh, memoirs, they're in there all the time. And uh, they often will sit together and, and chat between, uh, <laughs> between chapters, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, all, we, have a lot of sign, we have a lot of authors to come in and sign books. And one good thing about the way publishers think these days is they're always getting us books that are signed by authors, even if they're not local. And that's great because it just gives us... Uh, you know, something distinctive to sell. The, the books become really keepsakes. Yeah, and if readers are into a specific author, they appreciate having signed copies. Yeah, they, they love it. And going over your website, it looks like whether one reads paperbacks, hardcovers, old and new books, ebooks, or audiobooks, you have them covered. It looks like you've got everything available there. Yeah, well, you know, we, we want people to be able to buy books in whatever format that they, they choose to, to experience them. Yeah, and it seems there are a lot of readers who still don't understand that they can buy ebooks through local indie bookshops. So, which platforms do you have available for customers who want to purchase ebooks? For ebooks, we have two different platforms. We started out with Kobo, um, which, uh, you know, was a partnership with the ABA. And, uh, and that had great promise at first, but it didn't turn into, you know, the great, uh, you know, an, an important avenue for us, really. I think some some bookstores had different experiences, but uh, the problem there was associating, you know, the customer's account with the bookstore because there was a, kind of a disconnect. Uh, then there was uh, Hummingbird, which is now called My Must Reads. Um, and so that's a platform that we've also been able to offer ebooks on. And not a lot of people buy ebooks from us, but, but there are some that are just dedicated ebook buyers. And, um, you know, we want them to be able to get these books from us. It's another option. And I think it's an option that takes them away from Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the same logic um, that we used when, um, you know, we said, well, let's buy a toy store. Let's put in a cafe. It's just gives us, gives people more reasons to shop with us. Yeah. And it keeps it local. I think it's a great idea. Now, what is one book you'd like to see more people reading and what are you currently reading? Well, I'm currently uh, reading a book that's coming out, I think next April by Dan Sean called Sleepwalk. And Dan Sean, it's spelled C-H-A-O-N. And uh, he's, he's a writer of, uh, you know, very disturbing literary novels that just, just often verge on the edge of horror, but, uh, you know, they're not, it's not genre fiction. It's just he's very good at, uh, at creating uh, tension in the reader. And um, he wrote a book called Await Your Reply and uh, Ill Will was his most recent one. And this new one, Sleepwalk, is sort of like what if you took um, 
you know, the story of like a serial killer, but through the big Lebowski into it. <laughs> it's kind of, I'm, I'm only halfway through, but I mean, I, I think it's delightful. I think it's going to be a real breakout book for, for Dan. And, um, I don't know what I, what I really would recommend people read right now to be, to be serious is things like Hannah Arendt and Masha Gessen and Timothy Snyder on the origins of totalitarianism and fascism. Um, I'm, you know, we're, we're making sure we keep those in stock and displayed prominently. Uh, no reason. <laughs> Good idea. We can only hope people go to their local indie bookshops and educate themselves. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah. These are definitely strange times. Yeah, it is. And we and bookstores are, at least for now, are places where people can come to, uh, you know, to look, to learn things and to, and to also be in a community of learners, which is also really important. Yes, absolutely. And bookshops throughout history have been places where discussion is encouraged, where people can offer their own points of view. And over the last 20 months, where we haven't been able to have as many group discussions or one-on-one -on -one discussions with authors or specialists in specific topics, I think that's been difficult for us all. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of real communication happening um, right now. Everybody's just in their own information silos, unfortunately. Uh, but I think bookstores and also libraries, uh, my wife is a library director. And so we have these conversations all the time about how we can provide that kind of platform for people to come together and just be honest with each other. Um, we actually took part a couple of years ago, there was a, a project called the the Open Discussion Project that was organized by Chris Finan, who was uh, with ABFE. And it was about bringing people together to discuss books about, uh, about political issues and ideology, the people from different political modes of thought. And um, we were hoping we we're going to get some conservatives in here, but that, you know, with us and a bunch of the other stores, that didn't exactly happen. We mainly had liberals arguing with socialists. <laughs> you know. But it's a conversation, right? It was, it was something. That's right. At least it was something. So, um, you know, so, but yeah, I think that's the kind of function. And now with the pandemic, you know, we really can't get people together in physical space right now. So, so the uh, virtual events have, uh, have taken kind of the place of that. It's a little tricky to navigate, but uh, we're hoping that that'll continue because that, that does offer ways for people to come together who can't always get together in physical space. And they come together globally, which is fantastic. And I hope in some form we're able to continue this, uh, whether it be a hybrid version of virtual and in-person events. Yeah. Well, Michael, I've enjoyed chatting with you. It's been wonderful. It's been a great pleasure being on the show here. Thank you so much. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at mandyjacksonbeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to www.patreon.com forward slash the bookshop podcast and become a patron of the show. For just $1 a month, you get behind the scenes videos and your contributions support the production and editing costs of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email the bookshop podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly.